If you'll turn to the book of Colossians. We're getting close to the end, though. I think I was just trying to think last night when we started this. It must be about uh, six or seven years ago, so we're really moving. (laughs) Chapter 4, and I'm going to just read verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's seek the Lord before we look into his word. God, the Spirit, we come to you as the teacher, as the guide. And Lord, I pray that you will give me wisdom as to what to say and how to say it and what to remember and what to forget. And uh, we, I thank you that this is your word and your truth and you have a desire to communicate it to us so we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help me as I speak and hear, and may we all hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The rest of uh, the book of Colossians I've just put under one title, Sundry Exhortations. (laughs) That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sundry exhort. He gives us all kind of exhortations through here, but these first six verses are really packed with real challenging uh, information for us as believers. And uh, I want to start today first by looking at what I call determined prayer. Determined prayer. Uh, I use the word determined there because. I I think we have to have determination when we pray. And this uh, scripture text and others, as we'll look at them, refer to that. Now, let me remind you again, as I have, as we started at the beginning of the third chapter, that we're going to run across commands here. And the commands that are given, the only way we can obey them is if we first obey the first two commands. Seek Christ and live for eternity. Seek Christ and live for eternity. And so that's the way we should be living. 
Uh, we live down here. We work down here. But our focus is above. We look for the things above, not the things of the earth. Now, first, <coughs> let me point out the command here. The command. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer to God. Continue steadfastly in prayer to God. Now, that's uh, when you read that first, you recognize that he's not saying every once in a while when you feel like it, pray. You know the old song, when I get the urge, I pray. Well, we should always have the urge as God's people to pray. And the command is that we should do it steadfastly. It should be part of the routine of our life. And that's why we are offered in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? In order that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And uh, if we're steadfastly coming, God is steadfastly equipping us for the things that we need every day when we come into every test and every trial. So he is steadfastly at work. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Uh, you've probably heard sermons on this. Uh, I've heard quite a few in my life. Well, who, 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 is, who is the... Uh, wicked judge, what is he compared to? Uh, who is the woman? What is she compared to? That has nothing to do with the parable. The parable has one point, and that is to show us consistency in seeking God. That's the whole point of the parable. The woman is there just to show us that she consistently sought what she was looking for, and if we have God as our loving Father, we should be consistently looking to Him and looking for things from Him. And so it's uh, important. By the way, when I say looking to Him, I include that in that, and it's part of what we often miss in our prayer life is worship of Him. When we're looking to Him, we're also worshiping Him. Worshiping Him for who He is the Almighty God. And so that's part of the whole thing. Now, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, it says, uh, we ought always to pray and not to faint. In the NIV, it says, not to give up. In the King James, New King James, and the NASB, it says, don't lose heart. And it's very interesting, the word that is translated here is what is known as a compound word. And it means out of bad. Out of bad. You say, well, how did they get those translations? 
if it means out of bed. And A.T. Robertson points out that it could be translated not continuing giving in to evil or not behaving badly. And it seems to me that that is probably the best interpretation. And you say, well, why do you say that? Well, I say that because whenever I stop praying, I'm behaving badly. You see? I'm behaving badly. And what I'm doing is I'm trusting myself rather than God. And so when I am encouraged and commanded by Scripture to pray steadfastly, whenever I stop that, I'm saying, I'm okay now. I can do it by myself. I don't need your help, God. I've, I'm, I'm doing fine. Thanks a lot. And away you go. And that's when we're doing badly. That's out of bad. You see? It comes out of bad. And uh, uh, that's the whole idea here. If, if you stop, if you stop your constant coming to God, you're depending on yourself and you make, in a sense, yourself God. And if you don't do that, you do the other thing. If you don't go to God and tell him about things and discuss things with him, then you just sit and worry about it. Have you ever sat and worried about things? I have. <laughs> I confess. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I pa my former church I pastored, I had a lady, and every, every Sunday she came to me and she would say, had something she was worrying about. Oh, I got this problem, I got that problem. So one Sunday on the way out, she was worrying about something else. And I looked her straight in the eye. And all I said was, why pray when you can worry? And she turned around, walked out, never heard any one of her worries after that. And I, it was my prayer and hope <laughs> that she was praying and not worrying. Got the message, you see. And I think sometimes when we decide that we can't wait for God, the way God is operating, and we stop and we'll figure it out, and we'll make a plan. Have you ever done that? We'll make a plan and we'll get it. And usually, uh, excuse me, girls, but you end up in a car wreck. <laughs> not, 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 a, not, 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 I'm not, I didn't want to use that figure of speech, but it was what came to me. And I'm not talking about a physical car wreck. I'm talking about a spiritual car wreck. And uh, uh, you, uh, you, you come to the point where you say, I've been doing it well. And God says, hold it, hold it. In Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9, he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heaven above is above the earth, so are my ways above yours and my thoughts above your thoughts. And so we relax 
and find that as we continue to come to God, we can trust him as a loving father. He's a loving father who cares for us so we can continue coming to him and it doesn't bother us. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, pray. And that's a command. It's not optional. He says, pray. And the verb there for pray is a command in the continuous tense. So it's Continue praying. And just in case you didn't get the verb tense, he says, without ceasing. Without ceasing. Keep on, keep on, keep on praying. And so we have to uh, uh, keep on praying. God, God is looking for praying churches. Why is God looking for praying churches? Let me ask you the question. Who was this letter written to? Yeah, the Colossians. Yeah, it was written to the church at Colossae. And if you read, as we read further, you'll find it was also supposed to go to the church in Laodicea and the, La and the church in Heropolis. And so we find that Churches are supposed to be praying churches. Why do churches have to be praying churches? Praying churches are necessary so that we show our dependence on God for everything we do in our fellowship as God's people. We are not independent people. We are dependent people upon God. And uh, let me just say, that if, you're, if you don't have praying people in the church, you won't have a praying church. Each individual must be convinced of the necessity of praying. So that's the command. The next thing I want you to notice here is uh, 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 what I call the challenge. It's in the word being vigilant, being vigilant. Yeah, that that word really means refrain from sleeping. Refrain from sleeping. Uh, let me paraphrase that for you. What is what it's what he's saying here is, don't fall asleep at the switch when it comes to praying. Don't fall as, fall asleep at the switch when it comes to praying. Keep praying. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Be vigilant. Remember what uh, Jesus said to the disciples in the garden when they fell asleep? He said what? Watch and pray lest you enter into testings. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I don't know about you, but my greatest struggle in my Christian life isn't with the devil, it's with my flesh. That, that's, that's where the, the battle goes on. And uh, praise God, he's promised victory over the flesh too. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, Luke 21, 36, it says, 
Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And let me just give you a little translation. Continually be awake. And that's a command. And, and by the way, the idea there in, in that be awake is the idea of be awake and ready. Be awake and ready. You're not just awake, but you're ready to do something. You see, you remember Jesus told a parable about the uh, uh, man who the thief broke in his house. He said if he had known the hour he was coming, he would have been ready. He would have been ready. And so we're constantly to be ready. And how are we constantly to be ready? By awake and praying. By awake and praying. And uh, it's, it's very vital and important to us. And notice the, how Jesus finishes that off. He says, because someday you'll have to stand before the Son of Man. You have to stand before Jesus Christ. And you'll have to confess. I, I tried to do my whole life on my own. And I didn't come to you. I didn't seek you. I didn't seek your help. So he says, be awake, be ready, because you're going to have to answer for your own life and your own lifestyle. And so the third thing I want you to notice here is what I call the contentment. The contentment. It says, in the sphere of it that is not sleeping, in the sphere of gratitude or gratefulness. And you say, why did you put that in there, Paul? What are you trying to say? And I think Paul is trying to tell us that when you pray and you don't get an immediate answer or the answer you would like, be thankful anyway. Be thankful because you know you have a sovereign God who's got a sovereign purpose and he's working that sovereign purpose in your life for whatever it is. So be thankful. Be people who are thankful. And again, you have to, and I ask myself the question, how thankful am I? How thankful am I about the way God do, does things? You see, I have a way I'd like to see God do things. But the way God does things, he doesn't run by my agenda. He runs by his own. And so when he runs by his own agenda and mine, am I thankful or not? Do I show gratitude to him? And then the fourth thing I want you to notice in this passage <coughs> is that in verse 3, what I call the course for prayer. Paul gives them a course he wants to follow in the prayer. He says, together with or at the same time, praying to God concerning us. Here's what I want you to pray. While you're steadfastly in prayer, remember to pray for us. Remember to pray for us. And... Uh, kind of nice that Pastor Tony's not here. I can say this. <coughs> but I think if you listen to Pastor Tony, this is his heart. 
Pray for me. Pray for me. I need help. Pray for me. Pray for me. And you look at Paul and say, why? You're okay, Paul. Look at you. You're, you're, you're at the top rung. And Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me. Because I need prayer. And uh, uh, I, I have been challenged, knowing my own experience as a pastor, that I know that Pastor Tony, probably every Saturday, and the kids can correct me if I'm wrong, but he spends all day Saturday getting ready for Sunday. Right? Yeah. Now, are you helping him get ready? You say, how do I help him? You should be praying for him. Praying for him on Saturday. Saying, God, come and teach him and show him all those things so that when he comes, we will be fed from the truth of the word of God. And so we come to his aid. Well, he's coming to our aid. You see, it's a, it's a beautiful picture and we should be praying for him. And then the fifth thing I want you to notice here is what I call the content of his concern. The things that Paul was concerned about that we should pray for. And the first thing is, and this is, this is very interesting, and I, uh, I think we don't think about it and pray about it very often, and that's what I call possible proclamation. Possible proclamation. He says, in order that the God, the God would open a door to speak, the intelligent discourse. Just stop and think of it. Paul's in prison. He's in chains. And what is he praying for? The opportunity to share the gospel. To share the truth. He says, I want God to open the door. I want God to open the door so I can intelligently communicate the truth to people. And uh, it, is, it is something that should be on our hearts and on the hearts of each one of us as individuals that we should be asking God to open doors so that we can be witnesses to the world that's around us. And I wonder, even though God's not constrained by us, that we don't see open doors because we don't pray for him. We don't see open doors because we don't pray for them. We don't pray for the opportunity to share the word of God. In writing to Timothy, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 2, says, Here's what your job is, Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. This book. That's all, that's all he told him to do. He said, preach the word. It says, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And notice, he begins actually this uh, statement to Timothy with two commands. 
The first command is preach the word, and the second command is be ready. Be ready. Uh, uh, a little literal translation of that is stand upon it or get hold of it. Get hold of the word and preach it. Get hold of the word and preach it. And I think there's a beautiful picture in there, not only for pastors, but for people. That we get hold of the word of God and the word of God gets hold of us and we can't help but do anything but preach it. Preach it. Let people know. And uh, he says uh, that you are to preach the word. And uh, we should be praying as God's people for open doors. That we might be able to proclaim the truth of the word of God. You know, uh, I think it's okay to give your testimony to people, but the thing that's going to change their lives is the word of God by the spirit of God. And so that's, that's what we should be commu communicating to them. <coughs> and then he gives us the third thing, or excuse me, the sec second thing, what I call the purpose of the proclamation. He says, having spoken the sacred hidden mysteries belonging to Christ, or probably another possible translation is that the hidden mysteries, which is Christ. That's the hidden mystery. That's, that's what was hidden before and has been revealed to us today. That's what the word mystery means. Something that was hidden and is now revealed. And so he says, there was a hidden mystery, and the hidden mystery was Christ himself. People didn't know and understand Christ until he was revealed. And when he was revealed, they knew him. And so we need to be people who are preaching and telling people about Christ. And that, that is the pastor's main job and the thing that he has to follow proclaiming Christ. And if you look at the directives that, uh, not the directives, the teaching of Christ regarding the Holy Spirit and what his function was, you will see that this is true. For example, in John 14, 26, and he says, but the helper, some of you have the word comforter, uh, let me let me just say, the the real meaning of that word, parakle, is someone who comes alongside, and so I call the Holy Spirit the alongsider. He comes alongside us. He comes alongside us, and he says, "The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance." All things that I said to you. He will teach us the teachings of Christ. So the focus is on Christ. And then in John 15, 26 and 27, he says, But when the alongsider comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Now he's coming with the truth. 
who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to testify of Christ. Notice, it says, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me. In other words, when the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ, uh, the automatic response for us is that we testify of Christ. When he makes Christ known to us, we make Christ known to people. And that's why he came, so he could make Christ known to us, so we could make Christ known to people. And that's vital and important. Then in John 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, and notice how often Christ refers to him as the Spirit of truth. He is one that comes and he communicates truth because that's who he is as God the Spirit. You see, who proceeds from, uh, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Knows he will not speak on his own authority, or probably a better translation is, he will not speak for about himself or for himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And then this next phrase, notice it says, He will glorify me. That's the Holy Spirit's job. To lift up and glorify Christ. And if that's the Holy Spirit's job, and we are people with the Spirit of God within us, and pastors are people with the Spirit of God within them, and they are preaching the Word, they should be preaching Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Christ. And uh, when uh, we communicate the truth, pastor or people, we should be communicating Christ. And that's uh, uh, what we should be doing. Remember what Paul said in, I'm sure you all remember Pastor Tony talked about this in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Paul said, I knew nothing among you save the philosophy of the Greeks and the Jews. No. N nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And notice it starts off, he says, for I determined. I determined. That word determined in the original is a very interesting word. It has the idea of taking all the facts and putting them all together and arranging them and then coming up with a conclusion. And he says, I looked at all the facts and I came up with the conclusion that I'm supposed to preach Christ. So that's all I preached. I preached Christ and him crucified to you. I, I determined that. And so... Uh, we, we are to preach Christ crucified. Remember what Peter said in Acts 4.12. In Acts 4.12 he says, Nor is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
It's the name of Jesus. And let me remind you that when the apostles spoke of salvation, they were not just talking about the beginning. They were talking about coming into Christ and glorification at the end and everything that went in between. Salvation was a whole package. It wasn't just the beginning. And so I think it's important for us. So we need to proclaim Christ. That's, that's the purpose of our proclamation, to proclaim Christ. And then the third thing we hear is what I call the product of proclamation. No, this is not something we're looking forward to. He says, through which I have been and am in bonds. He says, I'm in chains. I feel bad about it. <laughs> no, Paul, Paul never felt bad about it. Why? Because he saw the chains as Christ's chains, not Caesar's. You see? He says in Ephesians 3.1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see, he didn't see himself as a prisoner of Caesar. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he says it again in, in the fourth chapter, the first verse. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of Christ. And I think there's, there's something powerful in that term. To realize that we are bound and held to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not bound by people and things outside of us or anything else. We're bound and held by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the great point that Paul makes. Uh, and I think it's important. Uh, Paul... I think if you look at him, you've got to see the great heart of Paul. What has he said first? He said, pray for me that I'll be able to spread the gospel. That God will provide an open door that I can hear it. And then he tells us, and I'm in chains because I preach the gospel. Isn't that interesting? His heart was so great and concerned for the lost that he didn't care that he was a prisoner. He just wanted to continue to communicate the Word of God to people. The Word of God was so powerful in him that he wanted to get it out and get it to the lost people. And so... He says, even though, even though I'm in chains because of it, I still want to do it. I still want to do it because I love the Lord. The love of Christ constrains me. And, and there are people who are God's elect out there that have to hear the gospel, that have to hear the gospel. And so he had a, a great heart. And I, I had to ask myself the question, is the word of Christ so 
filling me and bubbling over in me that I can't do anything but share it? Is it, is it forcing me, pushing me in every direction? And uh, I began to think of Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah, he's preached for about 20 years and had great success. He ended up in prison and down in, in a well and the king burned up all his message. And yeah, he, he, he was really well persecuted. And so what did Jeremiah say? In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, he says, Then I said, in light of all that I've gone through, I will not make mention of him again. I quit. I quit. I've had enough. This is pretty hard. I quit. I will not make mention of him nor speak in his name anymore. He said, but, but, his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary that word's wearies. Uh, I was working so hard trying to hold it back. I, I, I could, I was totally exhausted. I was totally exhausted. He says, and I couldn't. And I couldn't. I had to tell him. I had to tell him. And it's, it's one of those things that we need to have the word of God so uh, bubbling up in us that we want to tell the Word of God. When Grace and I went to Somali, the first station they put us on to uh, take care of was a station with a 30-bed hospital and a clinic that ran about 100 people every day and uh, it was a, a large compound and so many things to take care of. And we had a, a uh, day watchman because things, if you didn't have a watchman, were able to grow legs and walk off your compound, you know. And Ibrahim uh, uh, was our watchman. And Ibrahim was uh, in his mid-20s. He was a young Christian lad, just loved the Lord, always witnessing, sharing the gospel, always studying, always trying to read his Bible when he could. And one day he came up to me and he brought a young fellow named Yusuf. And uh, Yusuf was a blind boy. And uh, he said, I've been witnessing to, to Yusuf here and sharing the gospel and he wants to know more. And so for about three weeks, two or three days a week for a couple hours, I'd spend time with Yusuf. And of course, I had to have Ibrahim there because sometimes he had to translate for me. And uh, uh, it was about the third week and we were going through and it was like somebody turned on a light in Yusuf and his face brightened up and he had this biggest smile on his face and he said, that's what I want. I want Jesus. And so he prayed. And when he finished praying, 
I thought we were going to have to hold him in the chair. He was so excited. Uh, he was so excited about Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to go home and tell my father. And I watched him walk through our compound. And while he was walking, I don't think his feet touched the ground once. You know, he, he was just impelled by what God had done for him. And uh, about five hours later, Yusuf came back kind of and his, he said his father was really excited about what he had to say. He said, my father said, you are no longer my son. You died. We will have a funeral for you tomorrow. Get out of my house and never come back again. And so we made arrangements for him to be able to work in the hospital and find uh, living accommodations. And he did that for about a month and a half. And uh, he got a, a mess. His father sent a messenger to him and said, Son, I'm sorry. I forgive you. I want you to come back home. And uh, so he did. He was so thrilled. His father, uh, he would be able to witness to his father again and so on. He went home and two days later he was with the Lord. His father had poisoned him. And I never knew until that point that his father was a, a Muslim sheikh teaching in the mosque there. So you can imagine what a shame his son was to him. But Yusuf's love for Christ was so bubbling over that he was willing to die for it. He was willing to die. Is my love for Christ that much? My love for Christ bubbling over. And uh, uh, finally, the f fourth thing here in this is uh, what I call productive proclamation. Paul prays for productive proclamation. In order that I may that I may have made it apparent, or you can translate it, have shown openly the manner in the manner as is always necessary to have been intelligently spoken. What he's saying, there is there is always a necessity that when we communicate the gospel, we communicate it very clear so people know and understand what the gospel is. And I read that and I thought, Paul, you know it better than anybody. What do you mean make it clear and present it? But you see, we have to, we have to pray that God will give us clarity in our presentation of the gospel so people will know and understand what they're accepting or rejecting. You see, we have to make it very clear. And we should pray in our hearts as we witness, God, make it clear. Make it clear so this person understands. So, that's verses 2 and 4. We got through that. Uh, that's what I call determined prayer. And 
the verses 5 and 6 are what I call designated communications. Designated communications. Paul challenges us with two forms of communication here in this uh, um, passage that we are to be very careful of. First, in verse 5, he says we should be careful of our communication by our conduct, by our conduct, by the way we live. First, he talks about our position. He says, walk continually, and that's a command, in the sphere of wisdom, or probably a better word is tact or skill. Uh, the word wisdom is a word that means someone who is skillful and accomplished in some kind of art. You know, I'm, I'm an accomplished high jumper. I can jump four inches. <laughs> uh, um, but we, we are to be... Uh, continually walking as people who know and understand what the Word is and what the Word expects of us. And we walk in that kind of expectation. In Ephesians 5.18, he says, Therefore, see that you walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means accurately or diligently. Accurately according to the Word of God or diligently according to the Word of God. But not as fools, but as wise, as skilled people, as people who are skilled in the Word of God. And then in Ephesians 4, chapter 1, we read the first part of that verse earlier. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That can be better translated. I exhort you to have walked properly to the calling that you had been called. And if you remember, it's been so long ago you probably forgot. But we looked at those verses, verses 12 to 15 in the third chapter under the title of uh, the formal frocks of yours. What we, we are expected to be as Christians and how we are expected to live and walk. And, and our walk should measure up to what the Word of God is expecting, not because we can, but because He can. Because He gives us the strength and the power and the ability to do it. And if I shun His strength and power and ability... I'm walking in disobedience. But he calls me to walk in obedience by the grace given to me in Jesus Christ. So, that's our position. And then, the second thing is our purpose. It says, toward the without or the outside one. Why, why do we have to walk the way God wants us to walk? So the people who are not part of the body of Christ can see by our lifestyle our witness. Our lifestyle should be a witness to the world out there. If we're living like they are, they don't know we're any different. 
But if we're living different than they are, they know we're different. If you look at the book of Acts, verse chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it says, they, continued, they, they were continuing daily in one accord, I want you to get that, in one accord, with one mind and heart, in one accord, in the temple, and that was public, see? They were having public worship, okay? Breaking bread from house to house, that's the church meeting privately together. They ate their bread with gladness, or that gladness can be translated exuberant joy, and and simplicity, that means without guile or duplicity of heart, praising God, and notice it says, and having favor with the people. And having favor with the people. The people looked at him, and what happened? It says, and the Lord added to the church daily. You see, the people saw what God can do. And so God was working through their living testimony. But if you look at Acts 5, you remember the story in Acts 5, it's when Ananias and Sapphira were disciplined of God for their lying to the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 13, And none of, none of the rest dared to join them, uh, it's, it's a very interesting phrase. It means really not even one was possessing courage. Not even one. And the, the verb there has the idea that that's the way they were continually. They didn't have any courage. They didn't have any courage to join them. And uh, by the way, the word join there means to be glued to something. They didn't want to be glued to the Christians, you see. So that, that, that should be a challenge to us. Eh? We should all be glued together as God's people. And uh, uh, it, it, uh, it's something that uh, is important. But notice, notice how that verse ends. It says, but the people highly esteemed them. He said, there's something about these people. I don't want to be part of it, but there's really something. Their testimony was such, and so should it be with ours. There will be a lot of people who will see the oneness of the body of Christ here, and they'll say, wow, that's neat, but I don't want that. I don't want that. For a hundred reasons, they don't want it. But they don't want it. And our lifestyle should... Uh, be something that is commendable to the world. And then finally, the third thing here in, in our conduct is what I call our promptness. He says, by, buy out the opportune time, or as it's, Paul puts in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, the word evil there means evil in a, a moral sense. Uh, 
or a spiritual sense. Uh, actually, the word that's used there is the word from which we get our English word pornography. The, the, the world's full of pornography, uh, uh, evil things, evil sins. And uh, he says, when you get that opportune time, because the world's full of sin, you share the gospel. The time has come. Don't wait for tomorrow. Do it now. Do it now. Now is the time. And then, finally, not only in our conduct, but he says in our communication. In our communication. First of all, he talks about the attitude in our communication. He says, the intelligent communication of yours at all times in the sphere of grace. In the sphere of grace. In other words, uh, uh, we, we have to realize that we as believers, when we take the gospel to people, we don't take it with a sledgehammer. We take it graciously. We take it graciously. And that should be the heart's attitudes that we have. Uh, you know the old saying, you got to get in there like gangbusters, you know. Well, we're, we're not gangbusters. Uh, uh, we go in by grace, by the grace of God, and with the grace of God and under the grace of God to per, uh, um, present the gospel. In Luke 4, 22, it says about Christ, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Notice, the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. What was their response? Oh, isn't this Joseph's son? And you can graciously communicate the gospel and people will have a negative response. And their response should not control our communication of the gospel. We should communicate it with grace. With the grace of God in our hearts and on our minds. And then that's the appropriate communication. And then he ends up with talking about what I call the applied communication. That you may constantly perceive and know in what manner, by necessity, should continually answer each one. He says, you should know and understand as you listen to people how you can communicate the Word of God so it meets that individual person's needs. And you know, that takes prayerful and very cautious listening. Now, when we communicate, we do not compromise the Word of God, even though we do it graciously and we listen to what their needs are. We never compromise the Word of God. But let me also remind you that there comes a time sometime where we have to, after we have communicated and communicated and communicated, we have to be like, Christ was with the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, woe unto you. Woe unto you. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it again. And if you don't do something about it, 
you're going to go to an eternal hell and suffer eternally in hell. But even that, even that should be done graciously and out of love. You see? And so, we, we, we have to convince the world by our conduct and our communication about the truth of God. Do people know by my lifestyle and by what I say that I belong to Christ? Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit we will understand these principles that we will be longing to be able to communicate and asking you to give us open doors and then that you will, by your grace, help us to live and communicate your word through the inworking of the Spirit in our lives day by day. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.